Of course, uh, with, as we did at the time, start a church plant there in uh, Randwick, that was the University of New South Wales, but mainly the UTS. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had a campus uh, congregation ministry, and uh, they were great years. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, now I'm, I might as well tell you where I am now. I'm now in a place called Waitara, and I've been, this is my third year. Time flies. Uh, <laughs> tell you. Uh, so that's where I am for the moment. And what's uh, one moment in your ministry where you've seen clearly God yeah. has blessed you and God is there with you? Uh, you know, it's very hard to pick some, some uh, moments. It is just from time to time God reminds you. And he says, I've never taken my eyes off you. Mm. And uh, I, you can feel God's eyes on you because... He's merciful, long-suffering, very long-suffering, <laughs> and uh, it, it's wonderful to have that awareness that hits you from time to time. Mm. Yeah. It's wonderful. And last but not least, what's your most passionate or most loving thing about Christ that you can share with us? Oh, blimey. Uh, I thought I was going to give a sermon instead of that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, it, what is it? Why would he bother? Why are you mindful? Why is God mindful of us and of me individually? I, this is really, if I was God, I wouldn't be liking me. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I would have run out of patience a long time ago. But God is not like us. Thank God he's not like us. And so there is... Um, there is this, this profound love which I still think we underestimate. Mm. Mm. And, and it's there. Yeah. I'm with you. Thank God he is not like us. Yeah. And that he loves us unconditionally. Would you say amen, everyone? Amen. Well, I'm just going to hand over the reins to you now. Okay. I was just going to move this a little bit forward. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Not too close. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's wonderful to be here. And uh, yeah, I've been here before and it uh, feels a bit like home. There's no question about it. It is bend this. And uh, I'd like to invite you to open your Bible at uh, the book of Genesis, which uh, without a doubt is my, one of my favorite, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, chapter, because it really tells us about everything, the beginning there, and it's wonderful. The 22nd chapter. You know the story, but you know what? I still learn from the known stories a great deal. And so it's, it's, it's not, not so much a sermon that I wanted to deliver as, a, as much as a, a bit of a chat, a bit of a talk, a bit of an understanding. And I don't mind a bit of input. I don't mind if you, if you have a, you know, I, I, I like that. I really do. I really do going to put my phone here. I've made sure that mine is switched off. I hope you've done the same with yours. I always like it that the last time I told everybody to switch the phone off and the phone went. It was mine, wasn't it? Okay. Let's just bow our heads for a moment as we open the word. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, I pray that you give understanding. Give me to say what I need to say. Place a guard before my mouth that only truth might come out and that it may be of a blessing to the people here. And I thank you for the family that we have and that we are. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Abram's faith confirmed. Did God know the outcome when he said to him, now offer Isaac, your only son, the one who you love, did God know he would go ahead and do it, yes or no? What do you think? He did. So if God knew the outcome of the decision of Abram, why do it? Why do it? There's a background to all of this, and I just want to mention it before I'm going to forget it. The book of Job, the curtain is pulled back. And we see a behind the scene, uh, what shall I say, workings, a, 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 a conditioning, an, an, an argument, a discussion. And there is Satan, the accuser. Satan in Hebrew means the accuser. And he had accused Abraham of not being perfect. Was Abraham perfect? No. This business about Hagar was a terrible mistake. And it showed a lack of trust in a sense. But here it is. Satan had argued that Abraham was not worthy to be the progenitor of the chosen nation. Because he had not been perfect. By the way, that story is repeated in every one of you guys' lives. My life, your life, for sure. The argument is you are not worthy. And the reality is, no, you're not. My reality is I'm not. No brownie points being in ministry. We know better than the rest. Trust me. Amen. Amen. There you have it. And so here is the reality. It's wonderful. It's wonderful when you come to that understanding. So when there are tests in your life, you, you think of the story of Abraham that God is testing. Proving Yes, you are worthy because in him and through him you can do what unbelievably Abram did. There's a statement that I absolutely love. And it comes from, of course, the inspired pen of Ellen G. White. She says, he serenely rose to a height never attained to before by mortal man. And I love that statement. She has a way with words. Read her writing, read the story. Abram is 120 years old. The lad, Isaac, is 20. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to ask you a question and I always get the same answer. In this story, who does Isaac represent? Sorry? I always get that. I always get that. Isaac is you. Isaac is me and you. We didn't have to die. Abram gave that mountain a name. What was the name that he gave that mountain? Hmm? Very good. Uh, that was already in existence, but you're right about the location. Perfect, Mariah. Do you know what Mariah means? Moray is teacher, 
Mori in Hebrew is my teacher. Ja is the abbreviated form of the Yevah, that's the Masoretic text, how you pronounce it. You could never do that when there are Jews around because they take offense when you pronounce the personal, the covenant keeping name of God. My teacher is the Lord. And that is Mount Moriah. That's very good. Mount Moriah. Bear that in mind. God is teaching. Give me a title of Abram. What would be his title? What is the title of Abram? Huh? He was what? He was the friend of God. He's the only one who is noted as the friend of God. Abraham was the friend of God. Can you remember that? Now friends share amongst each other the most inner feelings. Is that right? Depending on the friendship... You have the barriers come down and you share with your friends your emotions. Is that true? God shared with Abram what it was like to offer your son. And that is where the name Moriah comes from. He taught Abram what it is like as a father to offer your son. Do you get that? This is important. Now, what is so significant about that Mount Moriah? Let's talk. What's so significant about that, 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 that location? Where would I find it today? Come on, you know. How many of you have ever been to Israel? I used to live in the old city of Jerusalem. I would come in through Damascus gate and I can close my eyes. Hundreds of times I've walked that little, what you call a shopping center, as wide as that at times. And I would pass a place called the Al-Aqsa Mosque or the Qubit al-Zahra, which is the Mosque of Omar. It is the third most holy site of Islam is right there on the very location where right now you have that third most holy site is the site, the only place, the only place where God would allow the rebuilding of the temple. So we have a portable sanctuary in the, in the desert. It ends up in Shiloh and there's a whole story. You can read it all in the Old Testament. Then we get the Solomonic Temple. Dedicated in the latter part of the 10th century BC. Destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, 586 BC. We get a rededication of the Zerubbabel Temple, 516 BC. It lasts all the way till 70 AD. And who destroyed in 70 AD the temple that we know as the Rubble Temple, later known as Herod's Temple, the temple that Jesus walked into, that he cleansed at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry? Who destroyed it? What were the people? The Romans. 
under Titus. The prince to come, the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel predicted the people to come at the time of the prediction, about 536, they weren't there yet. And he said, the prince of the people, Titus, his father Vespasian was the emperor that makes him the prince. The details of the prophecies in the Bible are stunning. They are incredible. They are unrivaled. Every one of them is true. And every bit of evidence is right there in this book and in known history. It is almost unbelievable that there are people who still don't believe in the Bible. It is that good. Now, God said, that's the only place. I put my name there. Another word for name. Character. God put his character on Mount Moriah. That is where he taught. That is where he taught the plan of salvation. He shared the plan of salvation. He shared the cost of the plan of salvation with his friend, Abram. It's a holy site for God. Okay, the Muslims are there. God permitted it. You know why? You know why there will never be another temple rebuilt there. And I've been there many, many times. In fact, I used to go a lot to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I had friends. I had was one particular friend and he, he, he took me always there. And we went to the Al-Aqsa Mosque and I did at the time because I was I'd, whatever. I was going it along and I remember kneeling with all the other guys, you know, and I didn't understand a word of it. And my friend said to me, he said, Barnard, you're going to be a Muslim one day. I said, no, I'm not. He said, but you are. He said, no, I'm looking at this rock. Look at the knot density. It's enormous. I love Persian Oriental carpets. I think it's such a, and I, I felt like driving up a truck and loading it up with those beautiful rocks and carpets. Anyway, I, I learned to appreciate their holy site and what they believe, but, you know, what shall I say? Islam falls short. There is no mediation. There is, there is no, there's no... Uh, Allah may give you forgiveness, he may not. There is no atonement. It's still like a hollow tree. It just has, something is lacking. And that is the love of God. It's not there. I have met so many Muslims. They revere God. They respect their God. I have never met a Muslim. I'm not saying they're not around. I have never met a Muslim who loves his God. That's the difference. Now, in this site, this is fantastic. This is really good. It would seem that God has made absolutely sure, he has made absolutely sure that the temple will never be rebuilt. And you know why? You know why? The Messiah would come and go, Daniel chapter 9. Remember that? And then the temple would be destroyed, which happened in 70 AD under Titus by the Romans. I used to give Daniel seminars at Waverley, there in the eastern suburbs in Sydney, and I would get a few of the Orthodox Jews. 
And they have their Bible, the transliteration from Hebrew to English. And I always knew at what time they would leave the meeting. I always would know. They would leave the meeting at the time when you come to the time prophecies of the book of Daniel and particularly the 70 weeks, the 490 years of their probationary time. And you go into the details and you see them, they close the Bible, Hebrew and English. They look at me and I look at them. I know they got to go. They are not allowed to study the time prophecies of Daniel because there is a, there is a curse in the Talmud they always deny it. I can give you the reference. There's a curse in the Talmud that forbids them to study the time frame. Isn't that amazing? Because the Messiah has been and gone. Now the only way to try to get past it, the only way to try to get past it is if they could possibly, possibly rebuild the temple so the Messiah might come again. But the third most holy site of Islam is right on Mount Moriah. There is no way that even America, that even the government of Israel would permit or entertain the thought to knock down, try to demolish the mosque that is there and rebuild the temple. It just will not happen. You will have World War III, Ukraine invasion by Putin is a picnic compared to the enormous conflict you would have then. Get this, can you see the hand of God in history? This is the only place where God will have his temple. This is the only place where they could resume their services. They can't do it because of this, what I just mentioned. And so Abram is called by God. It's all in the 22nd chapter. And I'm now presuming that you know this. And he hears the voice of God and he's heard it before. And the tremendous thing is, he gets up. It's early in the morning. Wakes up the lad. Explains there's a sacrifice to be made. He doesn't wake up Sarah. He doesn't tell her therefore what it is about. She would have never, never, never let that lad go. I want you to understand something. Here is the man that is, his whole life is bound up in this young lad. It is his joy. It is everything. Sacrifice. Look at it. Come to, 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 to chapter 22. Take now your son, verse 2, your only son Isaac, whom you love. God says, I know you love him. But you offer him. This could turn you off God, couldn't it? It could. Go to the land of Moriah, the name was there, offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, it's interesting that location. I'll come back to that in a minute. So he rose early in the morning, settled the donkey, and he makes all the preparations. He lets Sarah sleep because he knows there's no way if he were to tell her that she would let him go. She just could not, would not have been able to do that. And so Abram took the wood and they go and they, they, they make that journey. And then there is something interesting. 
as they walk, it's on the third day that they come to that site. I just for a moment wonder if you could, if you could imagine what is happening here. He hears the voice of God ringing in his ears. There's no mistake. Satan is pressing upon him that he must be deluded. How could God ask for a sacrifice, a human sacrifice? Surely he got it wrong. And Abram at night time, he doesn't sleep, <laughs> couldn't. He is kneeling there outside his tent. And he's praying like he's never prayed before. Have you ever prayed like you have never prayed before? Have you ever put your face to the ground and wish that God would talk to you? Just talk to you. That would be so good. Silence. The silence of God can be deafening in your life. But don't give up on him. He is right there hearing the prayer just delaying the answer that he already knew but he is showing Satan before I forget to tell you this he is showing Satan and she records it in patriarchs and prophets God is showing Satan that he is wrong about Abram. As he was wrong about Job. And by the grace of God. As he will be wrong about you and me. Because that's really the bottom line. He prays. Morning comes. He walks. He's 120 years of age. 120 years. And then he sees a cloud over Mount Moriah, one of the mountains of Moriah. It's a small mountain range near Mount Zion. And he looks at that. And he sees in the cloud the affirmation that God had said to him, take now your son, your only son, the one whom you love, sacrifice him to me. Would you do it? I don't think I could. I really don't think I could. Then there's something very interesting here. Look, look at the verse, uh, chapter 22. He said to his young man, verse 5, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And what? And what? We will come back. Because Isaac was the son of the promise. God had said so. In the letter to the Hebrews, Paul remarks upon that. Did Abraham believe that God could bring him back from the dead to life? Yes, he could. Does that make it any easier to kill him? No, it would not. It couldn't. And he has to press ahead. And then the boy speaks. Look at the fire. Look at the wood. Where is a lamb for the burnt offering? And here comes the name that Abram gave to that mountain. And the name in Hebrew is Yovah Yireh. Yireh means to see. God's vision. The name of the mountain is the vision of God. It also means the provision of God 
because he sees to it, we even use that word in English, to provide. And there is something very, very important uh, in, in this principle. If we follow God's teachings and directions, he will never lead us to a place where he would not provide for us. That's the way it is. Abram said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb of a burnt offering. This is a very moving statement. Because God provided a lamb for the offering, we call it Calvary. Right? We call it Calvary. He provided himself. God provided himself. This is the lesson that he is teaching Abram that he is going to make himself available. He will offer the son. In the agony, you've got to understand this. I don't know what words to borrow, but you've got to understand this. Meditate on this when you have time. So God is trying to explain what he feels. And he does it through the exercise of Abram having to offer his son. Who suffered more at Calvary? The son or the father? We can agree on one thing. Both suffered. Would that be right? Can you imagine, and I'm not asking you to imagine this, can you imagine to even observe and not interfere that which you love so much being so brutally dealt with it's unbelievable that the father could do this but as Jesus says the father himself loves you he was the expression of the father it wasn't just him who loved you it was the father who said please go and he went. And he did what he did. We underestimate the love that God holds for us. We still do. And so he explains it to the lad. He's 20 years of age. He could have said, forget it. He could have run away. He could have done anything. 120 years old, there's nothing Abram could have done to stop him. In his willingness to do the father's direction, follows the father's direction and to do his will. In that, Isaac, you're right, is like Christ. But Isaac represents Israel, by extension spiritual Israel, because he died for us. And so, and so he tied him. She says in Patriarchs and Prophets, he was encouraging his father to do it. He was a remarkable man, Isaac. Even as a youngster. He was encouraging his father to do this. And then he raises the hand and you can't imagine what goes through that mind of the man. Imagine having to come home. Having to come home and then tell her. He dreaded coming home alone. I remember a family member once had to come home. The, the son had died. Box jellyfish killed him. 
he had to come home and tell his wife, you're never the same, you're never the same. She was never the same, he was never the same. What a thing to do, what a thing to have to do. Imagine, imagine, imagine. And so he, so the hand is stayed. The lesson was learned. The hand was stayed. And then it really fascinates me what's happening here. Now, he stopped. Calvary was went further. You know that. Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide Yevayireh. And then, and then he turns around and he sees behind him, verse thirteen, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. I pondered upon this verse more than perhaps most verses in the Bible. A ram is an animal of sacrifice for the people. Yeah? For all the people. By the way, I can't see what time that clock says because it's the reflection. You tell, you wave to me, please. Ten two. Ten more minutes, that all? Oh, man. Once you start this, you can't stop. But anyway, we, we will play by, by the book. So here's the interesting thing. He stands at Mount Moriah. How many of you have ever been to that, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? Anybody ever been there? Okay. What is east? Uh, that way? Which way is east? That way. Okay. Let's say that's east. Huh? That way, you sure? A Semite orientates himself to the east. So behind you is the west. Every direction on the compass has a meaning. The north means judgment. The south is the site of favor. Remember Jesus saying that he puts the sheep at his right hand side and the goats that are lost on the left hand side. So if that is east, that is the south side, that is the site of favor. Would that be right, south? And then the north side is the site of judgment. That's where the goats go. Always remember that. It's important. Okay. When you stand there, and I've been there many times, you look across the, the Kidron Valley. There's a valley. You know the name, the Kidron Valley. And then you look at Mount of Olives. You've got the Hotel Intercontinental on the top now. Oh, it's been there for decades. And you could not see a ram caught in this thicket, or let alone a ram, from the distance of the ridge where the temple should stand, and now you have the third most holy site of Islam, you can't see a ram from that distance on Mount of Olives. But note this, note this. Uh, do not lay, and there was caught a ram in the thicket. So Abram, now look at this. Abram lifted his eyes, looked, and what? Behind him. He's got to turn to the west. And I'm not dogmatic about this, but when you turn to the west, you must have the sight of Calvary or a very close proximity. That's just the way it is. And so, and so he sees it, and, and let's, let's stay with this verse. Let's stay with this verse. Uh, the, he was caught up in the thicket. The thicket, uh, thistles and thorns. Where do I read about that? 
in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. What does it say? It is a curse. It is synonymous with sin. It is caught with its horns. The Hebrew word for horn, karen. Or connote in the plural. It is fixed on the forehead. What's in the forehead? The mind. That be right? What did Jesus offer? He offered his body, but make no mistake, if you go to Isaiah, if you just wouldn't mind just to have a look at this, it is really worth it just to go there. And I want you to look it up for yourself so you, you can see this. 53. Isaiah 53. This is important. And it says here, it says here, it pleased the Lord, verse 10 of Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, actually crush is a much better translation, and has put him to grief when you make his what? His soul. We just talked about the soul. That's body and, and mind. It's a consciousness, your whole thoughts. Folks, here. If, if there's one lesson that you should take home tonight, or today with this, Jesus offered his mind besides his body. The body was brutalized because Satan was trying to get to him. You could talk about that for a long time. How he did it, I will never know. But what kind of love made him do it? But he offered his mind. What killed Jesus was his mind. It was his mind. What had happened? He had been separated from the Father, right? Eloi sabachthani, that's in Aramaic. Let me tell you something about this. I wish I had half an hour. The hard part is always to switch it off, yeah. Sabach, the, the, the Hebrew in chapter 22 of the book of Psalms, Azaf Tani, it, it, is a, it is a sentiment where you want to have something out of your life. You hate it so much, you hate it so intensely, you want to take it and you want to throw it as far as you can away from you. That is Sabach, Azaf Tani. You want to get rid of it. God so hates the sin. He hates it of what it does to you, the whole of the universe. What happened at Mount Moriah was not a lesson just to Abraham. It was not just a lesson to his posterity. It was a lesson to the whole of the universe. They were looking at it. They were looking at it. And they were learning about God. Because he expressed himself through Abraham. I mean, he was his friend. And so here we have, he offered his mind. That is incredible. That experience, even God could never forget. I don't know, it's, it's, it's an enormous price, isn't it? And so, and so we go back to the 22nd chapter there of the book of Genesis. He takes the ram and he offers it. And it's in the matter of speaking, he received Isaac back from the dead. And there is a rejoicing that words cannot describe. Cannot describe. 
It must be incredible. It must be absolutely fantastic. That feeling. And God says, now I know. He already knew. He already knew. That horns caught up in the thicket that is synonymous with sin. What killed Jesus was his mind caught up in the sin of this world. That was the offering and that is what separated him from the Father and that is what killed him. In fact, I got away from Isaiah 53. He died to death. There's death, there's a plural. To death. You can't, the, the translators thought to themselves, you can't die twice. So they translate it as a singular death. But it's really in the, in the Hebrew, in the original, it is a plural. Jesus died two deaths. He died the physical and he died the spiritual. And the spiritual, the mental death is the second death. He could not see beyond the portals. Now he died triumphant. He died triumphant. If I go over, you just let me know. He died triumphant. No question about it. There's something that Jesus said on the cross, the penultimate statement that he made. Firstly, let's go back to Lama, Lama, Sabachthani. Lama is a composite word. It means, to what extent have you forsaken me? The literal translation of that statement is, my God, my God, not my father, my father. He has no father. At this stage, he has no father. Because the sin has separated him from his father. Isaiah 59 verse 2 gives you a perfect explanation. Now, so he dies. Terrible death, the second death. His mind is caught up in the sin of the world. He bore the sin of the world. The Roman soldiers, the Roman soldiers wanted to have a little bit of fun, just another execution. What did they put on his head? Here is the foreshadow of the crown of thorns. The Roman soldiers were acting out the gospel truth, the plan of salvation. Jesus offered his mind for the sin of the world so we may live. That is what Mount Moriah taught. Can you, can, did you get that? Folks, we're only scraping the surface here. It is so profound what happened. When Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews, and I've got to finish, he said, Abram, rejoice to see my day. As God, he was showing Abram what it is like. He taught Abram. Abram understood. That's why he called it Yevayerei, the provision of God. He understood but the Jews who should have recognized him did not understand. Abram rejoiced about the plan of salvation that God would offer himself to that extent. Wonderful, wonderful truth. And I hope and I pray that this morning some of that truth might have been presented to you and be retained in your memory. Because it is the love of God that did this. Shall we bow our heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could study your word and look at your word. I thank you for the gift of your word. But above all, the gift of yourself.
you must love us, O Lord. Thank you for doing so, and Lord, that we may respond in kind, keep your commandments, and follow all that you have taught us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Uh, please don't run anywhere. Uh, we're just going to stop for a quick refreshment. It'll be like 20 to 30 minutes at the back. We're going to have lunch. And then we're back in here again with Pastor Baron Neustraten. Thank you. <laughs>